Hello and welcome to this week's episode of uh, Policy Debates. This is our fifth episode, and this week we'll be discussing uh, what came out of the ANC's uh, NGC meeting. Um, we're, we're using uh, uh, an article written on News24, which covers the seven key ANC decisions you need to know about. The link will be in the description below. Joining me are Martin van Staden, a third-year law student at the University of Pretoria and an executive board member of African Students for Liberty. Also joining us are first, is first-year uh, politics and political and uh, economic history uh, student from UCT, Nicholas Wood-Smith. Okay, guys, welcome. Um, we've got seven points here, and I've got some uh, questions I'd like to ask you. Um, the first one is about the International Criminal Court. Now, the ANC says it's, it wants to withdraw from the, the ICC um, following the whole saga we had with uh, President al-Bashir from Sudan. Uh, he, of course, visited the country and he was, uh, a court requested to arrest him, but he was never arrested and he was let go. Um, so my first question to you, Martin, as a law student is, what is the ICC? Because it's not something we, we hear about every day. What's its role? And what role does South Africa play in it? All right. So the ICC, it's very simple. It's a, it's a global court that isn't limited to any um, any particular state, which prosecutes individuals for international crimes. Now that is like genocide or ecocide and um, generally crimes against humanity. Uh, it's based on the logic that a state obviously won't prosecute its own um, its own leaders for doing something like that, so that's where the ICC basically comes in. It's a fairly recent thing. It was only um, the Rome Statute that established it. It was, was only signed in 1998, and the, the court itself was only first instituted in 2002. Now, South Africa is a signatory to, um, to the Rome Statute because coming out of apartheid, we were a very human rights-orientated society. Um, even our government was really hailed for being mm. pro-human rights. So that is, uh, that's what makes this all a bit, a bit weird. So yeah, we're a, we're a full member of the ICC. Um, we are, according to the Rome Statute, we're obliged to cooperate with the ICC when, when they have an arrest warrant. And um, now, just in, to put it in the context of everything that's been happening, um, a lot of people will say that South Africa had other international agreements which um, essentially gave al-Bashir immunity. But according to the UN Charter, any resolution adopted by the Security Council is binding. And in 2005, the Security Council passed Resolution 1593. That said that any state, whether it's a member of the ICC or not, right? if it's a member state of the UN, it needs to cooperate with the ICC in its investigation and the prosecution of war crimes in Sudan. Now that simply means that South Africa, under international law, had no choice. And the, the, the funniest part is that even if we leave the ICC and the Rome Statute as the ANC is um, contemplating now, we will still be bound by Resolution 1593 to cooperate with the ICC. So you see that the Security Council's word is law. So if the ANC really wants us to get away from this international obligation, we will need to leave the UN. Yeah, so that's basically the role we're currently playing in the ICC. Yes, so it's not as simple as just leaving. It's a bit more complex than that. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, sorry if I can turn to you, Nicholas. Uh, 
this is perceived as a as a slap in the face almost, if you can call it that, to to the West, um, because the ICC is seen as a very Western dominated uh, organization or system, and uh, is will this isolate us in in any way, and is this a move away from say the West? Well, I think that the ANC has really shown its anti-West sentiments with a very pro-China, pro-Russia foreign policy document that they released around a few months ago. Um, but it, it is true that the ANC ideologues and members tend to see the ICC as a Western mouthpiece. And so in their view, they may be using this uh, too literally and figuratively slap the waste in the face. It's not necessarily that, because the ICC is supposed to be more than that. The ICC is supposed to benefit the in, the people of a nation that is under threat. It doesn't benefit America. It doesn't benefit the UK. It's supposed to benefit the people on the ground in Sudan, whose leaders should be being uh, uh, prosecuted for, for kind of killing them and you know abusing them as such. Um, but there is a big fear in the ANC uh, leadership that the ICC is used as a tool by the West to manipulate South Africa. But um, I don't, uh, but obviously we know this not really to actually be true. The ICC is a run by technocrats, not by politicians, and it's, uh, it exists purely to enforce international law, as Martin said, which we have violated now. Um, I don't think this will isolate us. There's plenty of non-ICC adherents that we could still talk to. I don't think it's, I just don't think those are the types of people we want to talk to. Okay. Um, I'd like to hear a response from both of you on this, but perhaps Martin first. Um, is this uh, is this a step in the right direction, or is it a step in the wrong direction? I mean, surely we should, if we maybe kind of just ignore it and stay in the ICC on whatever and try to be friends with both both East and West, um, even if it is only for the sake of our economy. Um, Martin? Yeah, well, naturally, um, it's it's a bad move to try and do this. We're stirring up problems for, for no particularly good reason. As I said, even if we if we leave the ICC, it wouldn't have changed the one thing about the Albeshir saga. And that is the reason why we're doing this. I, I can't recall that the ANC um, really um, substantively considered us leaving the ICC before the Al-Bashir thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if it, if it were up to me, though, South Africa would be friends with the West and leave the East to its own devices. We've been taking too much bad advice from the East, in my opinion. Yeah. But, but, yeah, so we're straying away from where we should be and where we were for a while there coming out of apartheid when we were doing pretty well. So yeah, in general it's a very bad move. Um, it's, it's, it's terrible that, that we're associating ourselves with, um, what do they call, uh, rogue states now. Uh, yeah. it's, it's bad. <laughs> and, uh, and I see we've, we've invited uh, Mr. Bashir back, what? back to the country now. Oh apparently. yeah. Uh, Seriously. Yeah. Nicholas, do you have any thoughts, final thoughts on this topic? Well, um, I think uh, Martin's said um, quite a lot of it. And it's basically just that don't put all your eggs in one basket. Trade with everyone. But also remember, the East, China most prominently, is our economic competitor. They buy a lot of our commodities, but the thing is that commodity economies don't actually produce the results that we want. We're supposed to be going for an employment-based economy because we, we have heavy unemployment. 
We're supposed to be creating employment maximization industries. Commodities don't do that. Create, uh, mining commodities and manufacturing themselves does that. But the thing is, China can do that cheaper than us and has completely destroyed us. But the reason China can do that is not because they're bare. It's because they're basically a, sl a complete slave state. They have, they're a corporation that runs an entire country. And as much as I like the private sector, they're not the private sector. They're a country acting like an, e like an evil, stereotypical cyberpunk corporation. And that's why I don't think we should actually work, to, uh, work with them yeah. as much as possible. Uh, it's fascinating. Um, okay, this, the second uh, topic or point to come out of this is the media. And of course, uh, le uh, let me read you a quote by Lindiwe's uh, Zulu. Um, the feeling is that ANC as a liberation movement as, and as a ruling party is being relegated either to the back pages or, if anything, a lot of what is reported is something which is only on the side of negative. So I think she's saying that the, the ANC aren't getting enough credit. I don't know for what they should be great getting credit for, <laughs> but they're not getting enough credit for something. And they're not getting enough column inches. And... Uh, if I can ask you, Nicholas, why, why do you think the ANC think, thinks that it has the right to, to not be on the back pages and why, why does it think the government should get involved in what is written about it in the media anyway? Surely this is a, the media is the, the number one defender of the civil, civil society. Well, the ANC doesn't think that. They're stuck in this dream that they're an absolute monarch, except that multiple of them as the monarch. And we're supposed to be their doting servants. And there's a big thing about this that we saw, especially with the with the spear saga. And we, as citizens, who generally, well, we we have a big engagement with Western democracies. So we see um, ridicule and satire as a natural part of the political process. But there's a big part of the ANC culture, and it actually comes back from a kind of pseudo tribalistic culture. That you're supposed to respect your uh, respect your leader unquestionably, mm. and uh, this is what the ANC actually is expecting. But the problem is that the entire population, to a degree, is modernizing. Mm. Uh, uh, it's even or um, very doting ANC supporters are starting to modernize and realize, hey, um, we should be allowed to actually criticize these leaders because they're not doing a good job. The biggest problem here is the ANC doesn't realize they they're running in a liberal democracy. They think they're a monarchy, and they need to, if they want to remain as a proper democratic regime, they have to realize that the press is not supposed to be favorable to the government. The press mm -hmm. reports on the facts. Well, they should. And I honestly think that our press is in um, complete dire straits at the moment, but at, if, yeah. the ANC, uh, if the ANC, an ANC move to uh, only portray them in a positive light will not, even, will not help that or make it worse. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the press is like the first bastion of Freedom, almost. Yeah. Um, so, Martin, if I can ask you, do you think we'll ever get to a point where the ruling party will can force the media to print what is in effect propaganda, and say what must be said about itself? Well, legally, no. Um, the constitution gives us freedom of expression. Uh, we don't speak about freedom of speech, really. Um, freedom of expression includes all of that. So this is only essentially limited by hate speech and incitement to war in the Constitution itself, in that provision. Now the Constitution has a general limitations clause that allows the government to limit our, um, our rights, whatever they may be, speech, um, further, but according to some criteria. 
but luckily um, our courts have been have been pretty pro free speech, um, which which is is one of the few um, great things that I admire about our courts. But of course, you never know what trick um, the, the government will devise next, or they will simply ignore the courts, which which with Al Bashir is something they've already done. So um, uh, if if I can like give one example uh, that I think I gave it before on the show, but to get around this um, these criteria for limitation of rights in a, in the case of Agriessay versus Minister of um, Petroleum and Mineral Development, uh, they basically just passed a law that says no, um, the mineral rights aren't being expropriated. Uh, they're they're vesting in the people, but the state will keep keep that as um, keep it as a custodian of the people. And then the court said, yes, well, the, the property isn't being expropriated. It's only vesting in the state as a custodian. Therefore, no compensation needs to be paid. That is a massive leap in logic right there that I don't understand. So this is something that the government can do. They can use wordplay to um, get what they want. So I'm not, I'm not entirely um, convinced that we're, we're safe from the ANC dictating to the media what they must and must not say. I think if you pay attention to what's been happening, what our ministers have been saying regarding transformation and all these things in the media, I think we're not we're not far far away from that happening. Yeah, this is uh, it's it's quite a scary thing, especially when uh, when the government will starts calling itself the people. I mean, there's a massive difference between the government and the people. Definitely. Um, okay, so. Uh, Topic number three, fewer provinces. The ANC wants fewer provinces. Um, so, Nicholas, why on earth would they want fewer provinces? It's uh, quite odd because we actually used to have fewer provinces, but yes. um, they thought that that wasn't nice, so then they s split it. But the reason they did that was because they wanted more positions to put friends into. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. They're corrupt. They had friends and family members they wanted to put into jobs because kickbacks political connections, all that, so they made more positions to put their friends. The problem that is now is that it means it's harder to actually control the constituencies because there's too many of them. And as we've seen, they don't have the Western Cape anymore, and they're slowly starting to lose others. But they, what, they've, what they think now is, well, we've lost the Western Cape, but we still win the Northern Cape, and we still win the Eastern Cape, so why don't we merge those all into the Cape province, and then the non-DA voters, the NC voters will overwhelm all the non-NC voters. And that's the yeah. basically the idea. Political takeover. Yeah. So it's basically they wanted jobs for their friends, but then they figured out their friends couldn't do the job, so they lost uh, province. And by all measures, the the, the DA-controlled uh, Western Cape seems to be doing better than the other provinces. Mm -hmm. um, so Martin, does this... The, I mean, the, the excuse they'll use is they'll say they want to be more efficient and centralize things. Does centralization make things more efficient, and does it work? Well, looking at it from a purely political science perspective, it will, it will depend on the context. So certain centralization will work for some purposes and won't work for others. Mm. Now, from a libertarian perspective, you can say that it may be better for, for freedom for, uh, for um freedom to be there for everyone across the nation and that provinces shouldn't be allowed to violate the rights of their people. Uh, this is an argument made in the US. Um, as you may know, the US isn't only, the US liber libertarian movement isn't only federalist. So um, you, you, 
an argument can be made that centralization for some contexts can work, but but I don't even I don't even regard the merging of provinces as centralization. Centralization. Centralization would be if um, if more power is taken from the provinces and vests in the na in national government. But all right, looking at South Africa specifically, centralization has been shown not to work, and re regardless of that. It is clear that the national government's motivation is political, and that it has nothing to do with effectiveness. So I'm not even sure that they're basing their um, their argument here to to merge provinces on any data that they've collected on on practicality or effectiveness. It's it's only their um, political considerations. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's it's absolutely not going to work, or it, it's not going to do what the ANC says it will do. Yeah. So they'll they'll probably draw the borders around uh, the places where they get the most votes, the localities and stuff. Yeah, it'll be pure yeah, so, <laughs> so Martin, is this realistic? I mean, is it constitutionally possible for this to happen? Okay, well, it's not realistic at all. To change the boundaries or merge provinces, Parliament will need to amend the constitution. Now, as we know, that means a two-thirds majority in the National Assembly and six provinces in the National Co Council of Provinces must vote in favor. The ANC's big problem in, in this case is that the legislature of the province, or the, no, actually the provinces that will be affected, must also concur with the National Co Council of Provinces vote. So, obviously, as this is a clear intention to merge the Western Cape into a bigger ANC power base, the DA legislature will obviously not vote in favor. So, from my reading of the Constitution, this is not going to happen anyway. But the, the matter, unfortunately, doesn't end there. The National Assembly, through some constitutional mechanisms, can still overwrite a decision of the National Council of Provinces. Um, but this takes ages, and is, it's extremely difficult. Anyway, the ANC doesn't have the two-thirds majority, as we know, in the National Assembly. So if the EFF or a group of other parties won't help them, they can't do it. So it's it's very unrealistic. Every option the ANC has at its um, at its disposal is it's very improbable to actually happen. So I'm not really sure what they're what what they're intending here. <laughs> okay, uh, Nicholas, is this uh, is this a sign of the ANC? Kind of losing their power and getting worried and wanting wanting more more and more control, and is there a authoritarian kind of trend we should be look, looking out for? The thing about the NC is it's just made up of political opportunists. They doing this this gerrymandering just purely to just secure votes to stay into positions. I truly don't think that we can compare the ANC to a group kind of like the big bad guys from 1984. They're not in here for control or authority. They're in here. For money and for money and personal gain, if it means authoritarianism to gain that, they'll do it. But I don't necessarily think that that's the thing. Otherwise, they would be actually our police force wouldn't have fallen apart. Our military would actually be up, up to scratch. I don't think we're on the road to authoritarianism, and if we are, we're really, really bad at it. And we will. Yeah. And honestly, I think that a, a small little citizens' militia would win if it came to a kind of coup. The um, it's uh, uh, but. The big problem with me, especially, um, so uh, Christian, um, you and I, we live in the Western Cape, and luckily we're, we get the benefit of living under the DA. And as much as we might not su support a DA with certain ideologically, at least we our roads are mostly mm. not made up of potholes. And at least we kind of livable here. But yeah. 
I've been to some non-DA provinces, and it, it looked like Mad Max. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically, which, which just without the ingenuity. I don't yeah. think it will lead to oppression. I think it's just going to lead to incompetence. Yeah. I think uh, our, our economy is just going to suffer. Yeah. And uh, hopefully I don't think an ANC government will be actively looking to oppress us. But who knows where the future might take us. Okay, the, ne the next point is uh, give half of the farmland to workers. So, you know, the poor workers, they get oppressed, they don't get, get enough wages, they don't own their land, it was taken from them 100 and whatever years ago. So isn't, isn't this just fair? Uh, Nicholas, what do you think they're trying to achieve through this? Well... The big thing is just brownie points. Not only from the workers who they will be trying to secure votes from, because a lot of workers are going after the EFF, uh, which have similar expropriation policies, um, but also there's the still a communist and socialist um, ideologue, uh, group of ideologues in the woodwork, and they do rely on them for some uh, political connections. And that's why they still... So, well, a lot of the NC people, if given the chance, they'll probably they'll be fine just having cushy corporate jobs where they just get paid for doing nothing. But they still, but they can't really do that. They have to appease some of the old vanguards of the uh, of the when the NC was still completely communist. And this, we're trying to appease the workers without any regard of property rights or who actually owned the land or actual econo uh, um, agriculture production or any sort yeah. of real justice. It's just pff, Marxist rhetoric yeah. taken to radicalization. And uh, why do you think 50%? Why not 100%? Well, there's just a cla classic sororities problem. It's, it doesn't really matter what the amount is, but the, pro the reason it's probably 50% is because they don't want to chase... They think that the workers will be fine with 50%, because you know 50% is quite a lot. It's a hang of a lot. But um, they also don't want to go over that amount because they're afraid that that will chase away all the farmers. What they don't realize is it's already chasing away all the farmers. Yeah. They can give yeah. any amount to someone. Like, yeah. if I'm earning money, and I have to give any of that percentage away to someone, I'd rather not give any of it away. And that's why I, that's why I don't pay tax. Except I don't have to pay tax because I don't earn enough. So you can't get me tax, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The thing is that, that that's the thing. Let's just say, if you have to give, um, say you own a house, and you have to give your front yard to some random person. Are you going to invest any money into that house? Are you going to make a nice garden? <laughs> yes, yeah, make a nice garden. Or even a nice front porch. You don't want yeah. people... Uh, no. If someone is nice to you, or someone, and you voluntarily give it to that person, that's completely fine. And there are cases where that happens. Like, there was a case where this one farmer actually decided to give um, a, a, a large proportion of his farm to workers, and he decided to stick around. And what's quite funny is that... Um, all of them ended up profiting more because a lot of the workers just left because they were sick of having managerial uh, um, responsibilities and it kind of sifted out the ones who actually had managing um, responsibility. But the key point here is that it was voluntary. Yeah. The, yeah. If it isn't voluntary, it, you're going to screw everything up. Yeah. But uh, on the other hand, I also read of a, a farmer who, in the, with the best of intentions, also did it voluntarily. Voluntar voluntar Voluntarily, sorry. <laughs> and uh, he gave away 50% of his farm to the farm workers, and he said it ended up in a disaster. He said yeah. the, the farm workers on the whole had no... They, they couldn't care less whether they had equity. They just wanted the money, you know. Um, so I don't think 
this is very practical. So, as we all know, South Africa is already a net importer of food. Um, yet we have some of the most arable, or the the best ground and uh, soil and stuff in the world. We should be a breadbasket for Africa. Yet we yeah. import more food than we export. Um, so, shouldn't this be the one thing, considering? we have a lot of poverty and stuff that the government does not screw with. If you look at the track record of what the ANC does, do they ever pick the right decision? With visas, with PE, with right to know, well not right to know, what right to know doesn't like, the publishing bill and the secrecy bill, do they ever have the right decision? <laughs> I don't doubt this. I think that if there's an issue, the ANC most of the time will probably take the wrong decision. <laughs> I know I'm very cynical here, but that's just my take on it. And I think that the track record supports that. Yeah. You're probably right. Okay. Um, now we move on to clamping down on school governing bodies. Uh, now, I think this is uh, for you, Martin, um, because I'm sure we all know that government bureaucrats are better at governing schools than the parents and the teachers and the students. So why is this a bad thing? Well, I think it's it's Marxist theory that says the government is also a better parent. So I've wondered why why we don't just abolish the institution of parenthood and let the government raise our children anyway. Yeah, but, send but, them to camp. Yeah, <laughs> but but seriously though, nobody knows better than what the kids need to be taught in this order than the kids themselves, the parents, and the teachers. The government yeah. is by far the most removed entity from what children actually need. They make these decisions, um, what what we're going to teach the, I mean, I got this from math and everything, these things that I couldn't do, they were so irrelevant to what I needed to, what I wanted to do since, well, coming into high school. It, it really just disrupted everything, but they make these decisions based on ivory tower intellectualist reasoning and not on the, the, the facts that are on the ground. So it's, it's, it's so ineffective, it's we have such a terrible education system, and this is really going to make... I, I don't even think it can get any worse. So I don't know if this is really that bad, I mean, to be completely honest yeah. with you. <laughs> I, th I think the bad thing is it would make the, the good schools worse, because some of the best schools in the country, if you look at them, you know, the big-name schools, even some of the, the public schools as well as the private schools, are great schools because their parents yeah. are very involved in the school. Yeah, they they basically they run the school. They hold meetings, they hold events, they hold all kinds of fundraisers and things that the parents do because the parents know what's best for their kids and they live in a certain community. That community might have certain values and whatever. Um, and one of the reasons they're giving is that the government is worried about what is being taught at certain schools. I mean, surely yeah. they should be grateful that anything is taught at all <laughs> at, exactly. uh, at some schools. Um, so why should the government have its say, and shouldn't we let parents decide? Well, I guess um, as with everything else, um, this reads back into the problem of social engineering, uh, you know, the transformation and all that jazz. The ANC wants to start regulating private schools now to ensure that, that what they teach is in line with national policy. Now this just amplifies the problem of government as teacher. If the argument is that everyone should get an education, then the government should rather subsidize it or just pay for it, um, the voucher system. But clearly, they, they care more about the politics of education now. So allow me to quote Steve Biko in this regard. 
and I quote, we believe it is the duty of the vanguard political movement which brings about which brings change to educate people's outlook in the same way that blacks have never lived in a socialist economic system they've got to learn to live in one now unquote that is terrible now it is this is what happened under apartheid and now we just want more of it the intention of the government to have clamping down on schools it's all too clear it's it's ideological yeah. Well, you kind of uh, led into my next question. Why would you want to regulate private schools? Because from where I'm sitting, the why would you regulate virtually our country's only hope in terms of education is the private school system, the likes of Kiro and your English private schools and so on. Why would you want to regulate those? Because in a way, they're actually catering more to teaching students to kind of go into university and maybe to a little extent, I know they're already very heavily regulated in terms of what they must teach and the, mm -hmm. in terms of the Umalusi and the senior certificates and all those things, um, but why, what regulation would make a private school better? Oh, um, well, none. <laughs> no regulation at all. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm completely with um, Murray Rothbard in this regard. Uh, Leave, leave the schools alone. It doesn't matter what they teach. It's none of your business. But what the government is doing now, it's it, like I said, it's it's transformation. And the ANC's intention, at least over the last decade, um, post Mandela, um, was never to do what's best for the country. It has always just to do what's best for themselves. So that is measured either by the few in the ANC who are, who are pursuing a particular ideological standpoint which may basically is either communism or black consciousness and then like Nicholas said earlier um, the other group is just there to enrich themselves so they're doing what literally whatever is popular so if they feel that people would like to see them do this then they will do it and judging by um, an event by the Institute of Race Relations which I attended a few months ago uh, about education specifically a lot of people there, um, the mostly teachers at, at public schools, they, they would literally stand up and say private schools need to be abolished. So there's clearly a, some kind of irrational But it's, it's none of their business. Why? No, of course. No, of course it isn't. But but it's it's I don't know what's that quote um about about socialists that they just want to put your, their nose in everyone's business. So busy bodies. Yeah, yeah busy bodies. It's better to have like a, a right uh, yeah, a fascist right. than this little busybody that's just getting involved in all your business. Yeah. Yeah. Because at least the fascist may realize he knows he's doing bad and maybe sometimes yeah. reform. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, uh, next point. Get national health insurance faster. So now they want to force everyone to be insured. So they're not saying let's build new hospitals, let's get more nurses, let's train more doctors. They're saying we need health insurance, we need a bureaucracy. I I recently uh, had uh, I spoke to a person at the highest level in the insurance industry in South Africa, and this person told me that Obamacare will be a complete disaster for the American economy because they can't implement it and it it screws up the market um, completely. So, Nicholas, if the U.S. can't successfully implement Obamacare, I mean, from what I remember, they couldn't even get the website working for the first few months. 
Um, how on earth will South Africa do this? I think I've made it pretty clear that the ANC has almost zero capacity to accomplish anything. I really, I'm surprised that they can actually get uh, managed to attend parliament meetings. That is how little faith I have in them. Um, we won't come close to coming anywhere near as much as Obamacare. In comparison, Obamacare will be the pinnacle of Swedish socialism that apparently works. It's uh, people will, in South Africa. People will look at it and say, "Oh, why didn't we do that instead?" <laughs> that's how ba uh, failure or not. That's how good it will be compared to whatever thing that can be conco uh, concocted here. Um, I hope they don't implement it because it will be a complete failure and a complete waste of money, creating more openings and more gateways for cronyism and corruption. And it's just going to waste all the, all the more taxes I don't pay. Yeah. Uh, it's going to cost billions and billions of rands, and it's going to fail. It's going to end up on the dust heap of government programs that don't work. Yeah, and as uh, you, yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. And as you said, it's not the uh, health insurance isn't the actual problem. The actual because uh, it doesn't matter how if people can afford to go to a hospital. If the hospital's terrible, if the hos mm. if you're going to die in the hospital because they don't wash the in, uh, the needles or don't actually have the medication, it doesn't matter how, how much health insurance you're going to have. Yeah. It doesn't work. And how can you force people who can't afford private health insurance to to buy government health insurance? So I don't even know how they plan on implementing this. I don't but I mean they're just going to you're going to end up going to a state hospital still. And except for now, they'll, they'll have less money to actually spend on doctors and equipment and cleaning and so on. They'll, they'll spend more money on administrators to administer this whole thing. So, I mean, you're probably going to have even a worse experience going to a state hospital. Mm. So, Martin, um, if we can't afford the doctors, we can't afford to build new hospitals, you know, it's overflowing already. How can we afford all of this plus a massive bureaucracy to administer it? Well, uh, just like think for a moment. Um, over the last few years, how many substantive debates have you heard in the South African political scene that our government needs to cut spending? The answer is basically zero. You should realize that cutting spending is not at, at, at all a part of the South African narrative. Uh, I've, in, in the US, everywhere you look, at least one Republican is saying let's cut spending. I don't even think the DA is saying we need to cut spending. When the government needs some more money for something in South Africa, they raise taxes or they raise some other fee that we need to pay indirectly. They think they can we they think we can afford it because according to statist logic, government money government money is endless. Of course we'll crash and burn soon enough, but even that won't wake wake up the masses. I think if we look at the cases in South America and even Greece now, it's so sad that it's getting into Europe. People want more socialism and more government, even it's when it's the government that caused the issue in the first place. Mm. So yeah, we'll, we won't be able to afford this. Taxes will go up, um, and yeah, it will be the market's fault. So, so uh, if I, final points on this, um, let's say we don't run out of money, which we probably will before this happens. <laughs> will this work? Will our life expectancy go up? Will the AIDS rates fall? Will we cure obesity? Will any of this happen as a result of this proposal, uh, Nicholas? No, it's one of nothing. It's it's just because 
it isn't actually solving the problem. Our problem is a lack of doctors, a lack of skilled doctors, yeah. a lack of actually efficient medical facilities. Our private medical facilities are doing fine. Just I would say actually deregulate, deregulate and just make more of them. But that's yeah. not, uh, you could expect me to say that. <laughs> um, yeah. But according to this, this will not work. Just refer to all my previous answers to answer this. Martin, yes or no? Uh, of course not. Uh, raising life expectancy, curing obesity, and fighting AIDS are all problems which can only be solved through private innovation. Uh, the ANC, I think, has ad nauseum shown us that it is an inadequate administrator and it's prone to corruption. So even if this could theoretically work, which it can, it never will work in practice in South Africa. So, no. Yeah, okay. Well, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're not Sweden or Denmark. Let's just say that. <laughs> Um, okay, the, <laughs> the final point, root out corruption. Now, this seems good. Uh, this is actually, it looks encouraging, at least on the face of it, even though I don't think most anti-politicians uh, would, would like to see an end to corruption. You know, only other people must stop being corrupt, not, not me. Um, okay, a fish rots from the head. So one of the proposals is that rotating civil servants and screening them better and interviewing them for you know their backgrounds and so on um, will will stop corruption. But shouldn't we be looking to the very top? You know, a fish rots from the head. Um, shouldn't we be looking at a better example being set from the from the from the highest levels of government, uh, Martin? Yeah, I have absolutely no idea why they think rotating civil servants will help. <laughs> a non-performing civil servant like in any company or any business or management setting should be fired. <laughs> when it will we not perform everywhere. Yeah, I mean, what's, what's going to change? With rotation, we'll likely just end up um, taking people who are actually doing their jobs well and putting them into positions where they have absolutely no idea what's going on. Exactly. And, um, yeah, so <laughs> there's something that we, they said about vetting and screening. And it's like by a state agency. And I was reading that and I was thinking, what the hell? <laughs> so we're going <laughs> to vet and screen people that are corrupt by another state agency that adds to the bureaucracy and just gets plugged into the already um, existing hive of, of corruption. Vetting and screening can only work if it's done by an independent agency that is substantively independent, obviously, or better yet, a private company. The government should delegate that screening process to a private company or something. If the ANC government and the NP government before it have done have, have been unwilling to prosecute corruption within their ranks, what exactly will a new government agency do? What, what's what's going to change? The problem isn't even at the top. Um, the problem is part and parcel of the system itself. Our constitutional structure is overwhelmingly statist. The assumption in our constitutional literature, including the, the text of the document itself and court decisions, are based on a fallacy. And that is that the government is, is a force for good with, which needs to be empowered to do, to do good. And now this is the problem that gives us this corrupt government because our constitution and the courts, they say no. Um, the government needs this power to do X, Y, and Z. And now um, they're just giving a power without a, a substantive check or balance on that. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a structural problem, um, if I can use those um, Marxist words. It's a structural problem.
<laughs> so it's not something that we can we can solve by implementing these solutions. We need to go to the the root of the problem and uh, uh, change the constitution. <laughs> That's a good place to start. <laughs> oh no, you don't don't insult the constitution. That's that's you don't, two things you don't insult in this country is Nelson Mandela and the constitution. Oh yeah, <laughs> those, those are the untouchables. Um, okay, so the the anti-corruption. So why can't they start by firing Claudia Mutsuning like right now? Why can't they do that so long? I mean, the court said he's corrupt and a criminal. So why can't <laughs> why can't we start, Nicholas? What do you think this will work? Well, no, it won't. Because the thing is, if they if they fire him, he's going to spill the beans on all their corruption. <laughs> big, yeah. it, they're all a part of a big gang that they know. Well, just to give an example, uh, so the movie Goodfellas, the uh, the mafia film. The reason mafia doesn't snitch on other mafia members is because the other mafia members know what they've been doing. They That's what dirt. the NC is like. They're yeah, dirt dirt, on each other. literally. Yeah. And that's how the ANC functions. The ANC is a glorified yellow and green mafia. Except they don't have as good fashion yeah. sense. <laughs> okay, well, I'm not going to hold my hopes up for rooting out corruption anytime soon. Um, okay, so we've been through everything. Um, this is you know, one, of, uh, uh, one of the ANC meetings that they hold every five years. We've had the RDP, we've had gear, we've had as Gisa, we've had the NDP all come out of these meetings. They come out every time with these big plans. How they're going to reform everything, and every time it gets a bit more and bit more statist and socialist in their thinking and their wording. But whatever they say they do, it never seems to. It's slowly going in the wrong direction, but it never seems to really work. So, uh, as a final thoughts, do you guys have anything to say about this, Martin? Uh, I don't know. Um, I think maybe I think we went from in, in 1994 we were on a slow downward spiral. Like we from a party we went up like immediately to a, a really great place to be, and then from there on we we went we're going down. And I think with this we are starting to to really plummet at this stage because um, the previous policies w weren't nearly as socialist as this. This is a borderline like authoritarian. This is tyranny, and and I don't I don't feel that we've we've really seen this before, at least coming from the ANC. So I don't I don't know. On the one hand, maybe this is what they're doing to to try and prevent extreme extreme radical elements like the EFF um, winning the day. And if that is true, then no oh, hell, um, the ANC is very clever, and I think I wish them all the best. But uh, I I don't know. I don't think. <laughs> I think it's just contributing to the same big problem. So yeah, it's, it's, it sucks. It's getting it's getting worse. I really hope um, uh, a, a more a liberal democratic element in the ANC will really um, prevail at the end of the day. Yeah. I think the um, we've seen here is that there's uh, two possibilities. The first one is that the ANC sees as losing its position from to the EFF, and it, it's a, afraid of that. We've already seen that the ANC Youth League is basically wearing the uniforms of the EFF. If you've yeah. seen any NC Youth League guys, they look exactly like the EFF. Mm. They and this is they, they so they think the EFF is taking some of their votes. So they're like, okay, let's start being like them. It's copycat. Now that that's actually the less the, the less of the bad parts. The other one is, and it's probably actually in some ways more likely, that this is Hayek's road to serfdom, and that a government given power will inevitably will become authoritarian. Yeah. Mm. 
Okay, yeah, it's uh, it's concerning, and it feels like we're not going in the right direction. And I think this country has so much potential. But if you see, you look at what's been happening at Vits recently, and you look at what uh, what what the people seem to be thinking, then it's really it's not positive. Um, so, do you guys have any more thoughts, or can we can we end? Well, I think we can wrap it up. Yep. Okay, cool. So, uh, everyone, thanks for listening to us today. Um, we've been talking about the about the government or about the ANC's new policy conference um, and everything that's come out of it. Uh, I've been talking to Martin van Staden and Nicholas Wood Smith. Please uh, subscribe to the channel if you and uh, if you have any comments, we'd we'd like to read them. Um, so until next time, thank you and cheers. <laughs>